1: welcome to Let's Talk About It. This is Taylor Nolan and I am your host. And today we're going to be chatting positive psychology. We're going to be chatting perfectionism and how to kind of get unstuck in our lives. So I'm really excited to be joined by Dr. Sasha Hines today. And I'll tell you a little bit about her before we jump into some of these topics. Um, So she's a developmental psychologist and a life coach. Uh, She's an expert in positive psychology, lasting behavioral change, and the science of getting unstuck. Um, She's leveraged her academic expertise as a former faculty member at the University of Pennsylvania's Master of Applied Positive Psychology program to help give her clients the tools to change their lives for good. And then she also has a... uh, private coaching practice that helps achievement junkies feel as good on the inside as their lives look on the outside, which I'm sure maybe sounds familiar to some of you listening. Um, But Dr. Sasha Hines is also a graduate of Harvard University and is a working mom. Uh, She's lived a life on the front line of the battle with perfectionism. So she's not only going to lend her knowledge and expertise, but also her own experience uh, dealing with some of these things. So without any further ado, I'm really excited to get into this conversation. And welcome Sasha to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. And I'm really looking forward to not only hearing some of your knowledge and your expertise around positive psychology and perfectionism, but also, you know, the humanizing part of professionals of hearing your own personal story with perfectionism too.
0: Yeah. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having yeah.
1: me. Well, thank you. Um First, I'd figure just kind of start off with what got you into positive psychology in the first place and, um, what kind of got you interested in wanting to go down that path and anyway. Yeah.
0: Um, what got me in the first place? I mean, I think that like most people, uh, <laughs> throughout adolescence and in their early twenties, like I just had, um, I felt really lost and sort of had a, a hard few years and was, was dealing with a lot, looking back, I'm like, yeah, I was Mm -hmm. dealing with and coping with a lot of different things going on in my life. Um, and, and, and I sort of, for someone who had been like pretty successful in take, you know, were achieving and worked, worked hard and, um, and was able to sort of be successful in my efforts. Um, I felt like all of a sudden, like the wheels had come off, you know, um, Mm -hmm. I wasn't able, I, I sort of hit that hit the skids, you know, and all of a sudden it was like, wait, um, I'm, I'm not okay. Like I'm really, I'm really starting to implode, um, Hmm. as a, as a person. So I, how did you know that that was happening? Um, I mean, I think, you know, we all have different symptoms, but for me, my way of coping with things that felt very out of my control, um, was I had an eating disorder Mm -hmm. and, uh, And which started out as restricting and then um, quickly morphed into bulimia, which was just became a total addiction. Um, And, and so I was like, not just, um, you know, in some way, like my mental health um, in terms of sort of like my, my, uh, my emotional health, like took the backseat to first and foremost, trying to figure out and solve, like, how do I live functionally? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How do I actually take care of myself with, you know, and stop hurting myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that became sort of like the, the first task was like, how do I actually stop hurting myself? So, mm-hmm. um, it really began this journey of beginning to understand what in the world does that mean? You know, like, what does it mean to take care of myself? What does it mean to be mentally healthy? Um, what does it mean to heal, uh, emotional and psychological wounds and, and to live in a way that, makes me feel good. And, um, you know, not just, not just emotionally feel good, but physically feel good too. Mm -hmm. And so I sort of just became really interested, um, you know, really interested in this work. And, and I think for just because of my, perhaps my personality, um, and just, I I think, you know, I had always been an athlete as a child and and as a teenager, um, I wasn't, you know, really athletic and, I really resonate with this whole notion of like having a coach being pushed, challenging oneself. And so the idea that it wasn't just like, hey, you know, you're broken, you're psychologically broken. Um, You know, here's your clinical diagnoses and we're going to get you back to like functional and we'll leave it at that. Um, I mean, I think I really got excited about this idea that what if, you know, this massive face plant, this like really hard time that I'm going through and all of the pain and just total despair. I mean, really, honestly, like that's Mm -hmm. anyone in the throes of an addiction knows exactly what that feels like. Just total despair. Yeah. um, That it's never going to get better. And once, you know, really once I started to, you know, heal some of these wounds and realizing like, oh my gosh, what if just functional isn't the end point, you know? what if, what if I can actually work on and develop and cultivate greater mental health and become more resilient and actually, you know, what I went through actually make me stronger and what I, you know, and Mm -hmm. actually becoming, um, sort of more mentally and psychologically more robust. So that was for me really exciting. And I just loved this idea that I could challenge myself and grow and develop, um, you know, to, to like, to evolve and to sort of up level to a different version of myself. Like that really grabbed me, that idea. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And when you, when you talk about this process of starting to heal, um, Mm -hmm. I'm curious, was, was therapy a a part of that for you?
0: Totally. Totally. Like I am a huge proponent of therapy. I mean, everyone should be so lucky to have a great therapist in their life to help them unpack, um, you know, what their own experience and how that has shaped their thoughts, emotions, and behavior. Um, uh, I mean, everybody has experienced some degree of trauma. It's just the human experience, right? So, um, and, and people respond to different situations differently, right? Mm-hmm. There are, yeah. there, I mean, there's evidence that, um, that, that there are, you know, kids have different temperaments. Some kids tend to be more of a dandelion, like they can really, they can thrive in the crack mm-hmm. of concrete, right? Like yeah. it doesn't matter. Their external environment isn't going to um, have such a big impact on them, perhaps psychologically. And then there are kids who are orchids, right? Mm-hmm. So um, they may be more sensitive temperamentally, which means that given the right environmental um, you know, context, they become the most rare and beautiful flower Mm -hmm. they also are very sensitive to a harsh, uh, you know, environment, right. An environment that's not nurturing and taking care of them. Whereas like a dandelion, you know, dandelions are, they're going to be great. You know, they're going to do well, despite, um, you know, more, more difficult circumstances and like, and, and, uh, and like a harsher environment. So I, you know, I think it's important to, recognize like which kind of, if you do have a more sensitive, perhaps you have a more sensitive temperament or anything, like you feel like there's wounds from your childhood or there's things that you're like, gosh, anytime you're in a situation where you're like, it's, I don't understand. Like, I know I shouldn't do this, or I know this is, I'm sabotaging myself, or I know that this just is making my life so much more difficult, this behavior that I keep doing, but I can't get myself to stop. Like that's a really good place to pause and think, and like It's a good indicator. It's an indicator light. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Definitely, it's like like the indicator light in the car is blinking. Right, that there is something that needs to be worked out. Right, that you're not just banging your head against the wall on purpose. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, and and I think this this notion, you know, that people. Uh, cope and experience trauma and things in their lives very differently, I think is super important. I know that's something I've had to work with some of my clients on of just like, you know, experiencing an event or a situation and having a completely different reaction than other people had and this sort of Mm -hmm. uh, shame and and guilt and and blame that starts happening internally because, you know, why is this so hard for me? And like other people are fine, but like this was really intense for me. and yeah. I love that um, I love that image of like the dandelion and the orchid. I think yeah. being able to be self-aware and look internally to see kind of where you fit a little bit could be helpful and having some grace and having some empathy for yourself when, you know, life does throw shit at us. <laughs> totally. I mean, I think that, right, when you think about it and that, it, which is exactly
0: what happens, right? So people go through an experience and, um, you know, let, let's just say like, Divorce. A lot of people, kids grow up with parents getting divorced. It's it's really a normal life experience these days. Some kids, given the circumstances of the situ, you know, the situation, the way that the the conflict in the house, like all sorts of variables, there's tons of different variables, right? Yeah. Um, and largely out of their control, like their genetic, <laughs> the genes yeah. they were given, you know, yeah. the, the, how their parents are handling their own relationship, like all these things that are totally out of the child's control. And some, you know, kids experience more, um, you know, psychological trauma than others mm-hmm. in the same, and you have two, two children in the same family, two different ki- two different siblings, and they'll have a totally different experience. Yeah. So, so it's like, you have to deal with first the, all those feelings that, we're probably unprocessed and unfinished. Right. Mm -hmm. And then on top of it, dealing with the shame and embarrassment that you're not just moving on. Right. That You're not just like, why is that person just can kind of pull themselves up by the bootstraps Mm -hmm. and move on with their life. And I'm still like, I, you know, and I, and I still seem to not be able to move past this. So, you know, you have to work on those on, on, you know, both of those layers, but Um, I mean, I think that for most people, like with mental health, it's the same thing with physical health, which is why I love, I mean, I really love the coaching industry because I think it's helped us like reframe mental health in a different way, which is to think like there are doctors, everybody needs to go to their doctor. Everybody needs to go to an annual physical. Everybody needs to make sure that they are not sick. Mm -hmm. Right. But it is equally important to, Exercise, work out, go to a trainer, eat well. You know, have a good relationship with food, and have health. You know, making sure that you have healthy nutrition and a wide, you know, diverse nutrients, etc. Right, that you're also taking care of your health beyond Mm -hmm. making sure that you're just
1: not sick. Totally
0: right, and I think it's the same as people are beginning to realize that the same is true with mental health, which is like, yes, we all have things that, you know, that make us sort of dysfunctional in certain areas of our life that we need to heal, mm-hmm. right? But that there's also like a strength-based approach, right? Where we can become more resilient, stronger, and more psychologically fit yeah. as well.
1: Totally. I, I totally agree with that. All right. I want to take a short break right here because I think for some of our listeners right now who are maybe listening to this episode might already be considering, you know, is psychology is really cool and this seems to be helping me out and, you know, maybe is therapy a a good choice for me? Um, and I've shared this wonderful sponsor of the podcast before, um, but I want to share it with all of you lovely listeners again, and that is BetterHelp, which is online counseling. And this is with licensed professional counselors. They specialize and basically almost Any topic or issue that you are struggling with, anything that you share is confidential. It's the same as if you were seeing a therapist in real life, just virtually. You can get help at your own pace, at your own time, and schedule secure video sessions or phone sessions, and also chat and text with your therapist. And one of my favorite parts about BetterHelp is that if you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time with no additional charge, and also that they start communicating with you in under 24 hours. Um, and best of all, it's truly an affordable option. Uh, and on top of that, they also offer, offer financial aid. So it's incredibly affordable. And now I'm about to make it even more, more, more affordable for y'all. It is uh, now going to be 10% off your first month for listeners of Let's Talk About It with the discount code, Talk about It. So why not start today? Go to betterhelp.com slash talkaboutit. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and then you'll get matched with a counselor you'll love in under 24 hours and you'll start your therapy journey. So again, that's betterhelp.com slash talkaboutit. And I hope you guys take advantage of this wonderful resource and um, don't deprive yourself of the help that you might need or that you're curious about. Like, give it a shot. Um, I hope it's helpful and I hope y'all check it out. And, uh, with all that said, we can get back to the show. I want to go back a little bit to something you were talking about when, when we were talking about like the, the shame and the, uh, guilt and whatnot that goes into being able to say that, you know, something, something's wrong here. I'm Mm -hmm. really struggling with this. Um, and, often there's this pressure that we then feel to make it seem like we're totally okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, To make it seem like on the outside that everything's totally fine. Like internally, I'm a total shit show and I'm freaking out. But like, you know, I'm still going to be getting all A's. I'm still going to be, you know, all American athlete. I'm still going to be all of these things, even though on the inside, I'm falling apart completely. And I think that that is... Kind of at the a great description there of perfectionism um, yeah. and where shame plays a or perfectionism really actually helps set up uh, things like shame and and judgment and and blame, which just leads to more of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about kind of your experience with with perfectionism. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) like, hello.
0: (laughs) Yes, I'm intimately acquainted with perfectionism. Um, We have a very intimate relationship. No, um, but I, Yeah. yeah, like, really, what perfection? Perfectionism is so tricky because I think on some level like we we still have this idea that it's like somehow morally good mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so we like, think
1: perfect is good for sure, some reason we like, think
0: perfect oh my is good all squared mm-hmm. away and you know making it look all like perfect and that's a good thing um yes being emotionally squared away is an awesome thing i highly recommend it but <laughs> yeah <laughs> but having like wearing this kind of like this having the sort of window dressing of, it has to look all perfect. Otherwise I'm, I'm, you know, otherwise mm-hmm. I'm going to die, which is essentially what your brain is telling you. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not optimal. Right. So, yeah, I mean, really what perfectionism is, is it's really just fear. It's, it's fear plus shame equals a perfectionism, right? So mm-hmm. it's the fear of external judgment Right. Yeah. it's it's like most it's all people, about
1: it's all about trying to earn approval from other people totally, right. Mm-hmm. So people
0: who are identify as a perfectionist, like what they will find all over their life is their sort of yearning for external validation, right mm-hmm. so wanting you know praise and approbation from other sources externally. But really, why? Why do we want everyone? Why do we want other people to tell us that like we're doing good, we're doing a good job, and that we're great and we're lovable and like all of these things? We want to hear that from other people because we fundamentally don't give that to ourselves, right? So when we feel shame about who we are, like shame that if people really, if they knew the real me, right, if they Mm -hmm. only knew what was going on under the hood they only knew what what I was really like behind the scenes. Like they wouldn't like me. They wouldn't love me. They wouldn't, um, you know, they wouldn't approve of me. And so it's like when when we believe that about when we have those thoughts about ourselves, right. And then it's like, this is the perfect cocktail for perfectionism.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering too, even earlier when you were sharing about, um, when you were struggling with eating disorders and talking mm-hmm. about how that's really addictive and perfectionism is also very addictive and mm-hmm. self-destructive. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if that's kind of where for you, you first started to notice some of the perfectionism tendencies, um, occurring in your life. Uh,
0: oh yeah. I mean, I, th- I think for people that have, you know, body image, um, body image issues and also just, you know, just, just sort of disordered eating, you No, know, not necessarily, it doesn't have to be an eating disorder, but just disordered eating a disordered relationship mm-hmm. with food. Yeah. Um, right. It's, it's so, it's such an externalized thing, right. Because people really do notice how you look, right. If it's, it's like, that's the ultimate window dressing, right. What do I oh, look I, like? So, um, it's a very easy thing to sort of latch onto as like this is going to be how I project myself to the world, right? It needs to look a certain way mm-hmm. in order to be acceptable,
1: yeah yeah and i'm I'm curious what your what your thoughts would be on like how perfectionism impacts men versus women differently. And I think for sure that, you know, when you think of perfectionism, perhaps the first thing you picture is a woman. And certainly I think there's so many external societal pressures that project perfectionism onto women. Um, But I think that there's also probably a lot for men that go quite under um, underappreciated or Mm underlooked or overlooked is the word I'm looking for, (laughs) um, that go overlooked for, for men as well. And I'm not sure if that's anything that you've had, um, you know, any kind of like professional experience with, with any of your clients or what your thoughts are on that. I mean, I
0: think I would say in general, um, you know, women are more likely to internalize their, um, you know, in their emotional experience, women are more will, like likely to internalize it than externalize it. So like internalizing would mean like they're taking out their, you know, th- those, they're taking out their feelings essentially on themselves. So women are more likely yeah. to engage in cutting. Women are more likely to have eating disorders than men. I mean, I think also there's cultural um, expectations that are different for women than for men, especially Definitely. around especially around our bodies. Mm-hmm. Um but I think that, you know, at the, at the heart of it, really, like if he, if anyone who's were anyone who's like striving so hard to sort of make it all seem so perfect, right? Like underlying that is a well of intense feelings, like of unprocessed feelings and invariably there's some sense of like, you know, some anger there because when you, you know, if you're thinking about someone, especially with regard to eating disorders and things like people are taking that out on themselves, right? That's like a mm-hmm. self, there's a sense of self-loathing or self-criticism, like that's aggression on oneself. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, there's all of this sort of like underlying unprocessed feelings that are always under underneath it all.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you like had any work with, with men related, related to this topic? Not so much on perfectionism. I I don't know that. I I think that,
0: yeah, no, actually, no, not. I mean, I think that, um, you know, men that I work with tend to be more likely to say that they're feeling like they're stuck or they're underperforming or, um, Mm -hmm. right. But they wouldn't, don't describe it in the same way.
1: Yeah. I would imagine still though, the, you know, the fear of underperforming, of feeling like they need to reach the certain thing is a, is a layer of perfectionism somewhere, but yeah, I could sure. see where, where the language would be different for sure. Yeah. That would, that would yeah. make sense. Yeah. yeah. There's a different way of describing it, but I mean, right, exactly.
0: It's like, what are the metrics of performance for men? And what are the metrics of performance for women? They, we, mm-hmm. there are cultural differences, gender differences there.
1: Yeah definitely and i i know i kind of asked um you know a few minutes ago about how perfectionism has presented itself in your life and uh you know as i even reflect on my life a little bit i think there's definitely been things you know of being slightly an overachiever at times um even looking at you know i did my bachelor's in 3 years I went straight to my masters and did that in 2 years and graduated very early and went to hopkins and all these things mm-hmm. to where academically i was like for sure succeeding and you know yeah. i've i've had moments where i look back on that and i'm like you know okay yeah like what was my purpose in that like what did that mean for me and what did that you know i think i I'm curious I'm going to share just a little story and I'm curious yeah. to hear what maybe your experience was with this um before applying or before like going to Hopkins my boyfriend at the time had gotten into the program and um we were we were living in Baltimore at the time. And so, you know, anytime we were out somewhere and he told someone, you know, he was going to Hopkins, the reaction from people was just yeah. absurd. It was mm-hmm. like, oh my God, like good for you. Like the way that they looked at him completely changed when he said that he was going to Hopkins and growing up, you know, with a single mom, being the first person in my family to go to college, um, this part of me that still felt like I didn't belong in that kind of uh field or in that image to me still felt like you know okay like I don't know if I want that. Like, I don't want people to look at me like that. Like, A, that feels like a lot of pressure. Like, because people mm-hmm. would joke, you know, oh, you're going to cure cancer for us. And he's like, I'm in right. counseling program. Right, right, um, right. <laughs> and I got into Hopkins and I went back and forth with myself and had also got into the program at Loyola in Maryland and um, rejected Hopkins and accepted Loyola. And then you know, in my head, it was like, yeah, you know, I don't need this like big name. Like Loyola is a really good program too. And I don't want to go to a school just because of the name of it and for that to like fill some kind of weird like validation when I tell people this and went through all this stuff. And then eventually, uh, like right before the cutoff, um, had emailed Hopkins back and was like, actually, can I come? <laughs> um, I was able to finish the program a lot quicker. What made you, and... <laughs> I'm so curious what made you switch. Yeah. I, Well, first I knew I wanted to move back to Washington state and come back to Seattle and the Loyola program would have taken me a lot longer. So the Hopkins program, I knew I could finish in two years and the whole second year of the program was just your internship. So I was like, I can move back to Seattle and do that there. Um, And then a large part of it too, was just seeing my boyfriend in the program and he really loved it and, you know, had really good mentors. And I just was like, yeah, you know, maybe it will be easier and, you know, to our have someone kind of there. Um, And the Loyola program also was a little bit more um, research focused than the Hopkins program. The Hopkins program was a lot more like reflection based and counseling specific work. So that was for sure what I was more interested in at the time. So Mm -hmm. there were many reasons like why I changed back, but there was this like internal battle within myself of like you know, my boyfriend at the time was like hella bougie, like grew up very, very privileged, very wealthy. You know, he, um, yeah, had had money to spare, his family. Um, and to me, it just felt like, you know, yeah, like I don't belong in a program like like that. And didn't want the pressure of it. And I always go back and I look at it and I'm like, was that me like fighting perfectionism? Was that me just like trying to be humble, but then being like, nah, like I want that. It's, I don't know. It's been a confusing thing to process. And I'm curious for you going to Harvard, like what, mm-hmm. what that experience was. I imagine that's like even more amplified when you tell people you went to Harvard than when I say I <laughs> went to Hopkins. <laughs> what was so interesting to me
0: is, and I think it's like, you know, interesting too to the audience. And you think of like listening to you tell your story What's so fascinating, right, is like there's two issues here. One is where are you going to get the best, most rigorous, most interesting, most, Mm -hmm. you know, challenging academic experience? Yeah. Okay. Like that's the real question. Yes. Right? Yeah. And then there's all this other drama.
1: It has Mm -hmm. to do with
0: like, well, if I go here, they're going to think this. And then if I go there, then I become this identity and I don't want to be that identity. Right. So it's super. It's really interesting to listen to the way that we described the decisions we make, because there's an intrinsically motivated direction, Mm -hmm. which is like, I'm going to make the choice given the constraints of my life. And like, you know, if you're, like your partner lives somewhere, like that's a constraint, right? That you yeah. take into consideration. I want to be next in the same city as the person that I love and like my support network. Mm-hmm. Okay, totally valid. But there's like, in, there is the internally, uh, intrinsically driven, uh, you know, components or like factors in the decision. And then there's like all of this external drama, right? Mm-hmm. All the externally motivated reasons to either do it or not do it. Yeah. Right. So for someone, it's like, oh, I have to take Hopkins because Hopkins more. It's the most. It's the most prestigious, and like, yeah. you know, everyone will think that that's so important, and that will make me a better, more, mm-hmm. you know, worthy human being. And so there's no question. Yeah. Of course, I'm going to take it. Or they could be like, no, if I go to Hopkins, that means I'm one of those people, and I hate those people. Those people yeah. are like elitist, and mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> right? yeah, right, and. And privilege and this and Mm -hmm. that. And so, so all of like, all of the drama Mm -hmm. is all wrapped up in our terror, you know, right? That other people are going to have whatever other people's opinions are going to be about our choices. And when you think about those two different sort of like the intrinsic, you know, uh, factors and the extrinsic, uh, you know, externally driven factors, like, in, Intrinsically driven factors are so straightforward, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Which advisor yeah. is the best advisor? Which yeah. program is the better fit for me? <laughs>
1: like, mm-hmm. which yep.
0: one did I just have a better vibe at? Which one did I like better? Which one do I think is going to be a more like exhilarating academic experience for me versus like all of this? Like, well, what if this happens? And what if they think this? And what? Mm-hmm. Right? It's like, and so we spend so like so much time. In the external drama. Yeah. And by the way, we've made it all up in our brain. It's like, <laughs> yep. have, have you, ha- you know, like if you ever noticed the people, those people that are criticizing you or those people that are mm-hmm. having an opinion about you, is yeah. it weird that their opinion sounds so much like your own thoughts? Yes, yes. <laughs> right? yeah. it's like Because they are. They're just your thoughts. You're just giving them an opinion in your brain. You're like, yeah. well, they're going to think this. Like, okay, that's because I've... T- Decided that that's what they're going to think, right? You have no idea,
1: but it's so interesting,
0: like how we make, you know, this is where our life, you know, our life gets so messy. Mm -hmm.
1: And I imagine this is where a lot of people kind of get stuck. And that's part of what, part of what you do in your work is helping people kind of get unstuck. And I'm, I'm wondering, is it kind of within this realm of what we're talking about, where people get, get stuck that you focus on? Absolutely.
0: I mean, I think for people that, um, you know, I, I think whether you call it, you know, perfectionism, it's sort of like it, it needs, it, th- there's like a certain standard. And if I don't hit that standard or if I don't perform at a certain level, like I'm going to get found out for the worthless human that I am,
1: mm-hmm.
0: like, which is really at the heart of perfectionism. Like, I'm yeah. terrified for people to see whatever the real me, whatever you think the real me is. Um, that is, you know, so unacceptable to other people, um, yeah. or whether it's just like being very, uh, externally oriented. So the decisions that you've made in your life were always about other people and other people's opinion, right? Yeah. Like what other people think about you and you're making those, you're making those choices.
1: Um, How totally would you say based so, on that. Yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm curious how what other people's expectations or thoughts or perceptions of you played a role in you going to Harvard.
0: Oh my God, totally. You know, yeah. I was like, I mean, I'm like carrying the banner for externally oriented, like <laughs> please <laughs> approve, please approve of <laughs> me. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, I was like like that was the that's the ultimate that was like the ultimate for me of like of winning other people's approval, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think what people get really, what, what's difficult for people, right. Is that they, that muscle of listening and actually checking in with themselves. Like, what do I think? What do I want? What turn, what lights me up? What is interesting to me? They have so disconnected themselves from their own experience, their own internal experience, their feelings, their, what's going on in their body. Like their neck is so disconnected from, you know, their neck Mm -hmm. is severed, right? The head is totally disconnected from the body that it's like, it takes a real work to reconnect themselves to make themselves whole in the sense of where they can begin to navigate their life, like self author their life where they can actually make decisions from a place of like, you know, I'm going to do this because I want to, because it's what I feel called to do or it's what I want as opposed to like, oh yeah, I'm going to definitely go to that school because everyone will think it's the better choice or everyone will think that I'm a better human if I do that, right?
1: Yeah. And, and so then when you go and then you have that, you know, stamp of, yeah, I went to Harvard and people Mm -hmm. do then approve of that and, and put you in this certain light, then is that like, you've achieved it all. Like your perfectionism is gone now because you've gotten (laughs) this external validation. Like I imagine, you know, it doesn't stop. It's just to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing.
0: (laughs) you're on the treadmill to nowhere, right? Mm -hmm. There's never, ever, ever, ever enough validation. There's never enough accolades. There's never enough, you know, praise, uh, achievements that are going to accomplish the, the real goal, like the real issue, which is truly liking who you are.
1: Yeah. Yeah that's a that's a scary one i think and that's a that's a big one uh, that takes a whole lot of of energy and time and work and i mean I've, I've i feel like i've said this in several episodes but it's such a shame because we really don't actually get taught skills to be able to do that we don't you know, grow up learning how to like ourselves or how Mm -hmm. to, uh, cope with our feelings and when difficult, difficult stuff happens. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering for you, uh, doing, you know, being an expert in positive psychology and, uh, working, doing developmental work as well, kind of how, like positive psychology can play a role in people learning some of these skills to get to a place of liking themselves. I mean, positive psychology is not a topic we've discussed on the podcast before, mm-hmm. so um if you could maybe help give our listeners like a, you know, a little explanation a... on what that is, right. <laughs> I think a that'd little, be helpful.
0: A little primer on positive psychology. Um yes. so positive, <laughs> positive positive psychology merely simply means that um it we people that are in the field of positive psychology we research the you know the causes and correlates of happiness um so you know what is correlated with people that self report that they're you know happy or have you know well-being and they they score high on measures of well-being um what is what is like what are the common denominators what's going on there and then also like can we understand what some of the perhaps causes of people that seem to be uniquely, um, you know, seem to be uniquely sort of like mentally healthy. Um, We also look at optimal human functioning. So people who are very exceptionally talented or um, seem to be exceptionally resilient uh, and like looking at uh, people that are sort of what's right with people essentially, as opposed to studying what's wrong with people. So we study character strengths, virtues, as opposed to studying, um, you know, like psychological dysfunction, we're st- we're psychological function. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is by the way, super fun. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It's really, it is, it's really, really, it's really, really fun to try to like unpack and understand why is this person, you know, despite the things that have happened to them or like, you know, in a very stressful situation, like they seem to rise to the occasion. What's going on there? How does that happen? hmm right? Um, how is, you know, what's the, what is it, what is it that makes life worth living? Like, what are the experiences? What are the, the psychological experiences and the emotional experiences that make life worth living? Like, let's study that, right? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And I'm I'm wondering too if you can kind of share and tell us a little bit about how people can use positive psychology um, in their own lives when they're coping with, let's say, just for example, here since we've talked about it most of the episode of um, dealing with perfectionism.
0: Yeah. Well, so there's been some really interesting studies, but I think one of the things that's really important to remember about positive psych is that it's not trying to, um, it's it's merely saying, hey hold on a second psychological community here. Like we need to address the zero, like, you know, the zero point of, okay, we need to address the, the human experience from zero to positive 10 because primarily psycho like, you know, the field of psychology had been focused on and addressing the human experience of zero to negative 10.
1: Right? Very true. Very true. Yeah.
0: So, like depression, anxiety, personality disorders, addiction, right? Like the things that that make when our lives sort of like when things fall apart, right? Um, and so, when I think positive psychology was really sort of a response to this, to say, hey, there is a full spectrum of the human experience. That's not just about mitigating and sort of healing disease and disorder and pathology, but it's also about helping people actualize into a more evolved, up-leveled, you know, like modern vernacular, but like up-leveling them and evolving themselves. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think there has been some really interesting, I mean, there's so much that we've learned in the last 20 years from the field of positive psych, but what, you know, and what makes, what makes life better? What makes relationships better? Like, how do we communicate with people better? Like all of this research that's emerged. But I think what's really important to remember is that like, when you are, um, working on yourself, like the, when you work on your strengths, you know, you augment what you're already good at, you get better at what you're good at. Um, and you use some of these more strength oriented approaches, like, let's instead of focusing on like what's not working in your life like let's look at what is working on your life how can yeah. we amplify that right yeah. that that just that simple switch that little that little like minute shift in the way that you approach somebody um and yourself and trying to change your life that it's just more fun to focus on what's going right no. right it's it's yeah. just a lot more fun it's- and so people are more willing to stick with it, right? They're mm-hmm. they're more willing to engage in the work because it 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 feels better, frankly, right?
1: Yeah, I think it's tricky. I don't know because like yes, it is fun, but I think sometimes we also like have a tendency to focus on the negative um mm-hmm. and I don't know, I'm sure there's like many reasons for that too, but I have seen even, you know, in in my own work with clients where you know, we'll we'll talk, uh, you know, especially for my clients that are like first, like new to therapy, like first time ever in any kind of counseling setting um, Mm -hmm. of kind of having that little bit of reassurance that like, well, like what's, what, what is good that's going on too? Like this isn't just a space to talk about, you know, the really difficult things that it is also important to acknowledge the things that are going well. Um, And I've actually, even this past week, one of my sessions was kind of focusing on the things that are working and the things that are going well and, and why they're going well and what that feels mm-hmm. like um, yeah. because I think oftentimes it can get super overlooked and there starts to you know seep in this little bit of like shame sometimes for feeling good that like you know oh well shouldn't I be like working even harder and you know if I'm stressed out that means I'm like being productive and all these right. kind of weird external pressures that come in um, mm-hmm. that you know oftentimes I think the the happiness parts are are super fleeting because they're also the most vulnerable to feel, and they they then mean that we're risking a lot more by actually feeling that and I think it's a place that can be really, really scary and feel uneasy for people um, oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that, right. Our, our brains are definitely wired and biased towards negativity. It's just that negative emotions are, stra- you know, stronger and louder mm-hmm. for good, for good reason. Right. If you, if you're, yeah. uh, <laughs> it, it's helpful for survival to pay attention to a negative emotion, to fear, to anxiety. It's like, totally. yeah, those are important to pay attention to because they're going to keep you alive. Right. Yep. So we are biologically wired to, to, you know, to sort of hear and feel those emotions stronger. They just take up bigger space. Even even though most people have a, their ratio of positive to negative emotions, they feel more positive emotions or you know neutral to positive than they do negative. Mm-hmm. And even clinically depressed people have a two to one ratio. So that's two mm-hmm. positives to one negative. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like that because negative emotions are... Prioritizes like our brain prioritizes mm-hmm. the negative emotion. So there's really cool research that I love that Barbara Fredrickson did. I think she's really revolutionized our understanding of sort of the evolutionary, you know, basis of positive emotion. Like why do we have them? What are, what's their importance? Um, and what she's really um, showed and is that when there seems to be a tipping point at which positive emotions um our ratio of positive to negative emotions where there's like a tipping point where positivity starts to beget more positivity right so there's this like Mm -hmm. once you hit this three to one ratio so you have three positives to one negative once you hit that threshold it seems to have sort of this like exponential upward spiral that starts to occur right so um which is really fascinating. So just mm-hmm. like water, you know, ice turns to water. And if you think about ice as a negative emotion, like it's very rigid, it's, it's um, you know, this like cold, rigid, uh, you, you know, like tense, if you think about like the way the structure of ice, right? It's like hard mm-hmm. to crack, hard to break, it's very brittle. Uh, And then when ice turns to water and water being positive emotions, like more malleable, more flexible, more expansive, like flows, all of that, right? So when our, um, you know, ice turns to water, just like our, at that, you know, at 32 degrees Fahrenheit, there's this tipping point, right? Where ice melts to water. The same is true with our emotions. So at three to one ratio, there seems to be this kind of melting that occurs, um, where we begin to generate more and more positive things because we have then more positive interactions. So it's like it kind of breathes, it takes on a life of its own, right? Like we yeah. create, we generate more positivity. Um, so our experience of positive emotion and trying to cultivate on purpose, deliberately trying to cultivate more positive emotion is incredibly important.
1: Right. Yeah, it it almost reminds me a little bit of the 5 to 1 ratio that the Gottmans discuss for mm-hmm. like healthy, happy, successful marriages, you know, the for every right. like their interactions. Yeah, yeah, for every one piece of conflict um or negative interaction, there's five positive interactions that help mm-hmm. kind of counteract that and when that mm-hmm. ratio starts to get out of whack and there's a lot more negative than there are positive, then we're more likely to be like obviously unhappy in our relationships. So Yeah, no, I I like that description of the ice cube. And I think that the ratio part's really helpful for that. Um, I mean, I think there's, you know, there's definitely a camp of people who are like, you know,
0: this is all just, oh, who cares, positive emotion. Like, it's so annoying. Everyone's got their like (laughs) little positive meme on Instagram, right? Like, I get it. I can be cynical too. But positive emotions, we, the reason that we have positive emotion is because they, they broaden our perspective. Like we know this, there's so much research on that. It actually, when we are primed for positive emotion, our, 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 this phenomenon that we have called our own race bias. So we are biased to be able to distinguish faces of our own race hmm. better than we are people of other races.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it's true for everybody,
1: mm-hmm. no matter
0: what racial group you're in. Um, and when you're primed for positive emotion, those, that bias dissolves. fascinating. So what happens is when people are primed to feel positive emotions, so they're like, literally they're put in a lab, they watch like a cute puppy video, they feel like, Oh, that was so cute. Then they're asked to look at a diverse range of faces on a piece of paper, right? Mm -hmm. They're just as good as distinguishing other races, like uh, distinguishing facial features of other races as they are their own. So it's like, in some way, when we're primed to feel positive emotion, we broaden our perspective, meaning we, we see the forest and not the trees. So we see other people as humans, as opposed to like, oh, you know, that's, she's white, she's Asian, she's, you know, she's a black woman, right? Like, we don't see that. We see them as human. Gotcha. Yeah, super yeah. fascinating, right? And so, and when we're primed for negative emotion, we, it, it like amplifies our own race bias. It makes our own race bias stronger.
1: Hmm. Interesting. I haven't, I haven't like heard of or, or read that research. So that's very interesting. It's, Thank you for that. It's super,
0: that. it's super interesting. So it's like, you know, you're being in a positive emotional it's like being primed for positive emotion and staying and trying to cultivate more of that positive emotion in your life actually helps you feel more connected to the people around you yeah. all around you. Like really I mean, that makes sense. It, yeah. <laughs> and it makes you, I mean, there's tons of cool research on this, but that's like, you know, it, it also broadens your perspective. It, it, it makes you more, um, creative, your better problem solver. Um, it also helps us build, right? Connections and that sort of sense of oneness with people, right? So it helps us build communities and connections. So all of the amazing inventions and this incredible world that we've created, um, you know, that was built on the foundation of positive emotion, right? Play, curiosity, interest, joy, love, um, you know, awe, inspiration, all of those emotions. So, you know, our our, you know, from an evolutionary perspective, our positive emotions are absolutely essential.
1: Yeah. They're definitely very important. And I'm glad that, um, that you've been able to give us this, you know, detailed overview, um, which I guess is slightly contradictory to say <laughs> detailed <laughs> overview, um, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> thank like you. A, a
0: quick, a quick, <laughs> a quick dose of some positive psych research, but yeah, there's so much cool stuff in the field, um, of mm-hmm. like, you know, of understanding, like, why does it matter that we're well, like, why really? Why does it matter? It matters a lot, why, right? So that's what we're interested in understanding.
1: Yeah. And you've wrote on this like extensively and in, in many different articles and many different outlets. Um, there's one that I thought was really great on Bustle um, about how to kind of hack your brain to be less negative that I'll share mm-hmm. in the episode notes. Um, and we'll also share your, your website there. But um, if there's any other place people could find you to kind of follow more of your work or learn more about you, or if anyone wanted to reach out to you, where would be a good place that people could kind of find you and and follow you at? Yeah. So two places, um,
0: either find me on my website, um, and you can connect with me through, um, like an application to work with me, or they're just like a, you know, an, an email to send an email to, um, or on Instagram, which is just like my fun place to hang out and, my musings and thoughts about a lot Mm -hmm. of them things I'm working on myself, you know, like I'm, I, we were laughing before we even got on the, on uh, recorded, but you know, like I'm a human too. Like I am a human. I, we all have a condition. It's called being a human being and having a human brain. It's so tricky. Our brains are very complicated. And so there's nobody who's exempt from having to Manage their mind, right, like our minds are very squirrely, and right they're they're like little you know
1: like obstreperous children running around yeah. so we have to we have to manage
0: that so everybody everybody has to do this work.
1: Yeah, I always imagine it literally as like the the, the little um, creatures and in Inside Out when they're like all in the brain and they're like ah totally. oh, like we're feeling this and I'm like that's my brain like literally it is I, actually, day. I love that
0: I love that movie so much I was like they had some really really brilliant psychologists yes um, I feel like I need to go back them and on that.
1: rewatch it's, it it's
0: really a brilliant it's such a brilliant like illustration of sort of you know all the different sort of voices and in our, in our mind, which some of them, they're just like, they're just little wounded parts mm-hmm. of us. Right. That are like, I just want to be heard. Absolutely. So, you know, we, we all have to deal with this. There's no, you know, you don't have to have a, you do not have to have a clinical problem to feel frustrated and like stymied by your, what goes on in your mind. Like mm-hmm. this is just very normal, normal, normal human experience. Yeah. There really is a, like a method and tools and skills that one can learn to feel better and have like, a more, you know, to, to really truly manage their mind and to have a better experience of life and to not feel like they're constantly dealing with, they're like, oh, here it is again, like here I'm dealing with this again, right? There really are skills and tools that you can learn to evolve to the sort of, the person that you, the person you really want to be, like you are the person you really want to be. And there are skills and tools that you can learn to sort of uncover that
1: person. That's beautiful. Thank you for saying that. I I think that's super important. And thank you just for everything that you've said um, this episode. It's been super wonderful having you on and appreciate, again, you just being human and sharing parts of your own personal life. And in addition to your expertise and your knowledge. Oh my gosh! Thank you for what you're doing and all the amazing content you're putting out in the world. It's great. Thanks. I'm I'm really doing my best. I appreciate that. <laughs> And thank all of you guys for making it through this whole episode. I hope that you learned some new things and that it was helpful and definitely reach out if you're interested in learning some more. Uh, you guys can always reach me at it at gmail.com. And I'm not always able to respond to all of the emails, but I do read them and I do super appreciate them. And if you guys have any like positive things to say about the show or just want to share something that you're liking or an episode that you loved, I would love, 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 love to check that out in a review on iTunes. So if you have a minute and can head over to iTunes and even just leaving a star rating really helps. But if you have, you know, 30 seconds to write a sentence or two out, that would also be super wonderful. So thank you guys so much for listening and for your support on the show. And we'll be back next week to talk some more. So enjoy your week and I'll talk to you guys next time.